0: Good morning, good to be with you guys today. Um, let's, uh, I'll read the text first, so it's right there for you in your bulletin, but I'm looking at Philippians one twelve through 12-30. Uh, quick context, uh, the Apostle Paul is in house arrest, he's been kind of sidelined, he's chained to a Roman centurion, and he's writing to a church that's concerned about this uh, apostle who's uh, so dear to them. All right, so that kind of paints the picture of what he's writing. So he says, I want you to know, brothers... That what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest of my imprisonment, that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord about my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel, The former proclaimed Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking they afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ will turn this out for my deliverance, as as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed that with a full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by my life or by my death. For to me is to live; to, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I choose, I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is that to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is far more necessary in your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue. On with you all for the progress of the joy and the faith, so that in me you may have ample ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus, because of my coming to you again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or in absence, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation. And that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engage in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Let's pray real quick and we'll look at this. So, God, as we look at your word, um, I pray it would speak to us, God. Your word says that it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. So, I I pray that you would use it today uh, to give us hope to correct us, to encourage us, to guide us. Uh, we invite you to fill this place, Father, and speak to us. We ask that in your name. Amen. If you look at the last, uh, next to last verse, look at verse 29 again. It says, For it has been granted to you, that means gifted in the Greek. So you've gotten this gift, and he names two gifts. It has been gifted to you for the sake of Christ. So it's a gift that comes from Jesus. Jesus gives good gifts that you should not only believe in Him. So, so far, we're thumbs up. You get to believe in Christ. So, faith in Christ is a gift. And I think we'd all agree. uh, I like this gift. Look at the next one. Not only do you get faith in Christ, but you get to suffer for His sake. We get to suffer, right? So, you get faith in Christ and suffering are two gifts. Now, the former is pretty obvious. The latter, not so much. So, what I wanted to look at is how do you, remain optimistic or hopeful in seasons of suffering? How can Paul write in context of being chained to a Roman guard, sidelined, that he's, hey, I'm, I'm encouraged by this. This has happened for a purpose. He's trying to encourage the church, like, hey, I'm in prison, and it's God's will that I'm in prison. Now, I don't know about you it's hard to maintain that attitude. I used to live in, in Paris years ago, and um, this is one of the most... Uh, I think heartbreaking job losses of my life. Uh, when you're modeling, it's feast or famine. You, you go through sometimes a, there's a good run, and other times there's just nothing. And um, I had auditioned for this Gillette commercial. It was a Gillette commercial in the Bahamas, and uh, the, the the director liked me, and so they booked me. And it paid five grand a day, with a fifteen thousand buyout for three days, fifteen thousand dollars buyout. So that was a thirty thousand dollar job with a first class ticket to the Bahamas. And all I had to do was dance with girls in bikinis and other guys in, in their trunks. So that was kind of a win on all fronts, I thought at the time. And so I had, I had the ticket. My agency gave me the ticket. And so I'm like, this is in the bag. This is awesome. So I'm, you know, walking around Paris, you know, twinkle, twinkling my toes and praising God. And then two, two days before the job, my agency calls and like, oh, Micah, we have some bad news. They changed their mind. They only want to use women and not men. You've been canceled. And I'm like... You know, like when you see a movie and someone goes like, no, it felt like that moment. So I went back to my agency, and I had the first class. I've never even flown first class in my life. And I remember handing the ticket back to my agent and just being so bummed out. And the day that I would have flown to the Bahamas, I'm like, well, I'm walking around Paris, mopey, and I'm like, well, you know what? Surely there's a reason this happened, God. Maybe I'm supposed to save someone's life today. Maybe someone's drowning in the River Seine, and maybe, maybe... You know, no no rescues happen. So I'm like, maybe you want me to share the gospel with some today. And surely a soul is worth more than a trip to the Bahamas. So I I thought of the most pagan model I knew. And I'm like, I'm going to have lunch with this guy. And and, and this is what it's all about. This this has got to be the reason why I lost this job. And I think I, like, I think I drew him further away from God. It was such an (laughs) unsuccessful conversation. And I remember just sitting there that night, and I'm like, God, I have no idea... Why you canceled this job? I have no idea why this didn't work out. This makes no sense to me, but I'm supposed to remain hopeful, and I'm supposed to trust you that you know what you're doing. And and that was that was a difficult place in my life. It sounds shallow, and I know harder things have happened since then. But that point in time, that that would that was a that was a game changer for me. That job. So what I want to look at today is a couple things. One. How was Paul optimistic? How was he hopeful when he found himself in prison? And how can we be hopeful or optimistic in the same way? All right, so how was Paul optimistic and how can we be optimistic? And so first of all, optimism, if you define it, it's hopefulness and confidence about the future or the successful outcome of something, regardless of the circumstances. Okay, so first in our text, why was Paul optimistic? One, I think he saw suffering had a purpose. As I said, verse 29 says it's actually a gift. Well, Paul writes a lot about this. James writes a lot about this. James 1, James says, Count it all joy when you go through various trials. He says, Be joyful in suffering. Why? Because he says that it actually makes you complete, right? Paul writes elsewhere in Romans 5, he says that you're supposed to glory in suffering. Why? Because it produces perseverance character and hope. It builds character. No one likes to hear that. But it does. It makes you more of a complete person. And then in context of Scripture, Paul says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, what has happened, he's in jail, he's house arrest, chained to a centurion, what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. He's saying, don't feel sorry for me because I'm in prison this is like my dream scenario i'm chained to a guy who cannot escape me it's not that he's I, he can't i'm going to share the gospel with him he can't get away from me this is a win for paul nero was the the caesar at the time if you read in other places in the epistles it's just that the whole even though the, the family of caesar heard the gospel so Paul viewed his imprisonment as a unique opportunity to share the gospel in a situation that he wouldn't have been in unless he was arrested. And I think sometimes God takes you through difficult circumstances because he wants you to be more effective in your witness. If you uh, recall 2 Corinthians chapter 1, it says, May the God of all comfort comfort you in all your suffering so that you're, so that you're able to comfort those in the same way which you've been comforted. So basically, God will sometimes take you through things, church, so he can get you through things, so that you can relate and connect to a world that is going through things. Does that make sense? I think a prime example is, that, um, and if you look at Paul's life, I mean, in 1 Corinthians, remember he's an apostle, like he's, he's set apart for God to share the gospel. But when you read about his kind of testimony, he talks about he's always being, he's always being shipwrecked. He's been like shipwrecked on numerous occasions. He's treaded water for 24 hours at, at one point. And so I'd be like, well, God, if you want me to like, share the gospel and stuff. Like, how about a boat that floats? You know? And but he doesn't say that. He's not complaining. This is just life to him. And he says, I've been uh, on numerous occasions, I've been beaten, like whipped, 39 minus 1 lashes. What that implies is that they said the 40th lash was the one that killed you. So 39 was an act of mercy that you were one away from death. So this isn't like a, light, like a light beating. He was beat down, beaten with rods, stoned to death. He goes into his life, but it doesn't phase him. None of these things moved him. And I think one interesting point, when he's shipwrecked once on Malta, the servant that, you've just survived a shipwreck, and yet he wants to serve the people, so he's gathering firewood. And remember what happens? He gets bit by a snake. Now, I would be like, come on, God. It was the first time shipwrecked. Now I'm trying to serve people, and then you let this dumb snake bite me. And you remember what the, the islanders said? They're like, ah, oh, this man is a criminal because he survived the sea, but God's judged him by this snake bite. And they assumed he was going to die. But Paul just shook it off in the fire and went about its business. And then they changed. They went from thinking he was a criminal to thinking he was a god, and they started to worship him. Now, the last time that happened outside Lystra, Paul didn't, he he tore his clothes and said, do not do this, I'm just a man. We don't know the backdrop of the story, but I'm sure he clarified that he's not God. But it was the snake bite that was the point of connection to the people. Surely their, their, their kids had been killed by these snakes, their people had been killed by these snakes, and if Paul wasn't bit by the snake, he wouldn't have had the platform for connection. So Paul views suffering as a gateway to minister to people. And perhaps God's taking you through seasons of suffering because he wants you to be a more effective minister. You can't have compassion in an area unless you've been through that area yourself, and unless God's brought you through it. That's when you have something really to offer somebody. So sometimes, I think there's seasons, and this is why Paul was optimistic, he recognized that that suffering had a purpose. One day we don't have to deal with it ever, ever again. That's the beauty of Revelation. Revelation. Amen. Suffering is done away with. God dries our tears. But until then, he uses it in many ways, and one of the more effective things he does through it is he helps us to be more effective ministers of the gospel through suffering. Right? And Paul realized that. Another thing is, he left room for mystery. Look at verse 15. It says, Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others, others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I'm put here for uh, for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then, only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. He's not talking about heresy here, right? He would lay the smack down on heresy. He's not okay with heresy being spread. He's talking about motivation. And this is kind of weird. He's saying that some people sincerely uh, recognize that this prison st- stint is a God thing and God's going to use it in my life. I'm going to minister through this. But other people, my rivals, are happy I'm in jail because I'm sidelined and they can elevate their own ministries. It would be like if, because if, Tim Keller's retiring, that's the pastor I work with, um, if Tim, at the, the retirement announcement, Mark launched an anti-redeemer campaign you know, we're going to launch grace, and we're going to bring grace into the city. And we're going, to, we're, going to take, we're going to take over this gap that's going to be left by Tim Keller's retirement. That would be weird, right? It would be really mysterious in a negative way. He wouldn't do that, I'm sure. But Paul left room for mystery. He's like, as weird as this is, I'm okay with it. If people want to preach gospel, <laughs> preach the gospel because they're wanting to enlarge their ministry, why mine seems to be a little sidelined, I'm okay with that. And I think sometimes God does weird things in our life. And you're in a cultural context that is pretty individualistic, which means when you're discomforted, when you don't understand things, you tend to think it's wrong and you're right. It's just kind of the culture that we're in. Ancient people didn't think like that. They assumed that God would be mysterious. That's why when if you read the book of Job, Job's wife says, curse God and die, bad advice, But she doesn't deny the existence of God. He was there. That's a given. Job says, though he slay me, I will trust him. Even though this makes no sense at all, I will trust him. Sometimes, guess what, people? God is God. And he he knows more than us. He's transcendent. He's omniscient. He's omnipotent. He will do things... Like, let you get a job and then not get a job that was on the way to the Bahamas that you were stoked about. He'll do things that make no sense. That, and maybe as you get older, you'll look back and you are like, oh, that makes sense. I think part of, this is just my, my, my hypothesis, I think in heaven, I don't think you get your, it's not like you're, you get like the, the slate wiped and rebooted. I think everything clicks in heaven. Like, it all makes sense. And maybe in one amazing epiphany, you know, I think you appreciate eternity when you look back and you're like, ah, oh, I get it, God, that's why you didn't let me get that job. That's why that relationship didn't work out. That's why, th- whatever happened that, that you were bummed about for that season in time, that was mysterious to you, I think it all clicks. But I think Paul was okay for mystery. And I think we need to be okay with mystery. If God's doing something that you don't understand, you know that he loves you because Romans 5.8 says so. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He's gonna do stuff at some point in your life that will not make sense to you. But don't let those mysteries cause you to think that God doesn't love you, because he proved it on the cross. He's God and He's working things that you just don't understand. Right? So Paul was okay with that. So people are preaching the gospel, trying to trump his ministry. He didn't care. He's like, hey, that's still a win for me. As long as the gospel's being preached, I'm okay, even though your motivations are off. What else? He knew the power of prayer. Look at this in verse 19a. He says, For I know that through your prayers it will turn out for my deliverance. Now this is kind of one of those underspoken. Of course we're supposed to pray if you're a Christian. Um, all religions, Christian, they, they center. there's this idea of praying, asking God, whoever you think God is, if you're not a Christian, you're seeking him for some help. Um, I remember, I'm not mystical at all, but I remember years ago, I'd come back from college. I just became a Christian, 1991. So this is post MC Hammer, Ice. Uh This is the Pearl Jam has hit the scene, and I'm at a party. And I was a, I, 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 didn't, I didn't, I never really drank or anything like that. So I just kind of hang out with my friends. And there was like a, the, the the town drunk was there, and his name was Johnny, and he was old. He was about 10 years older than all of us, and he was just hammered as usual. And I remember, I'm like, I'm going to talk to John. He's like, hey, Michael. He's like, kind of slurred. He's like, I heard you became a Christian. And I'm like, I did. I totally did. I've been a Christian for a year now. I'm, 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 I'm totally in love with Jesus. And he's like, that's great, man. He's like, you know, I used to do the church thing too. But man, this, I just, I can't. When I start drinking, I can't stop. And so I have this kind of alcohol problem. And I'm like, you know. I meet with these guys every week. I've got this accountability prayer group. I was like, I'm going to pray for you, Johnny. Every day I'm going to pray for you. I promise. I'm going to go back to school and pray for you that you can kick this thing. He's like, I would appreciate that. And I did. I went back to school. I wrote it down. I'm like, pray for Johnny every day. Because so often I'll be like, hey, I'll pray for you. And I, I, not, I not only forget the person's name, I forget what I'm supposed to pray for. Um, so I remember, though. And I met with my friends. I'm like, we need to pray for Johnny. Pray that he, he you know, beats this alcohol problem. And if you know how school works, if you're in school, remember what school's like, for three months, life's kind of normal. Then it gets crazy that fourth month of the semester when final exams happen. And it got crazy. I was pre-med, biology major. So I kind of forgot about Johnny for that fourth month. And I, I kind of totally forgot about him until I was at another party. And guess who I saw? Drunk again. Johnny. And I'm like, ah, oh, there's Johnny. Oh, And I'm like, Johnny, hey, what's up? How's it going, man? He's like, good. I'm like, ah. Oh, I see, he's like, I'm still struggling with this. And he's like, but you know what? He's like, for three months, I didn't touch a drop. And I remember I was like, you know, I was like, you know, tear your clothes kind of moment. And I'm not saying that I have these, you know, Michael Smith's got the, you know, the the line to God. All I'm saying is perhaps, just perhaps, I was the only person on planet Earth praying for him for that season, my friends and I. So you think about, God commands, it's... We're supposed to pray without ceasing. And I think sometimes we forget. I think you fall on one of two things. One, you're so hopeful in your prayer. When God doesn't do it, you get all bummed out and you want to stop. Or you're just pessimistic. Ah, God's sovereign. Who cares? He's going to do what he wants to do and you don't. But we're supposed to maintain this static, recognizing that God is sovereign, recognizing that he gives us free will, and recognizing that he commands us to pray. And somewhere between those three things, stuff gets done. And so Paul recognized the power of prayer. And I think we need to remember the same thing. What else? He knew the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, I left a, a kind of a Pentecostal church in California to come study under Tim. That's a, you know, Redeemer is a Reformed church. And, and it's funny hearing, I, I get to see both sides, from a charismatic perspective to a Reformed perspective. Um, I'm full on, I, I love the Reformed reform theology. But, you know, on, on the other camp, You all are known as the frozen chosen. Have you heard that before? You know, so, and then I know the other side, they're known as like happy clappers. Oh, they're crazy, you know, but it's the happy clappers versus the frozen chosen. So sometimes, talking about the Holy Spirit at Redeemer, they're like, whoa, whoa, what's going on here? Uh, This is getting a little weird, you know, but it's not weird at all. And I heard Mike, Mark mention it uh, already. The Holy Spirit is, It's a gift. Parakletos, when Jesus promised it, it, was the, it God was going to come alongside you and come live inside you. This is, this is major. This is like a total game changer that God would live inside your hearts to help you to walk with Him. Where the law was written on your hearts, it wasn't you trying to do it, trying to be good, trying to please God. You're literally sealed with the Holy Spirit, empowered by the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that you're not supposed to grieve the Holy Spirit, it says you're supposed to walk in the Spirit. You're not supposed to quench the Holy Spirit. And so Paul talks about the power of the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost, it changed everyone. Peter went from being this cowardly, impulsive, you know, fella. He was still impulsive, but he preached impulsively, and 3,000 people were converted through one sermon. So he goes from hiding to preaching, and he's just a different human being because of the Holy Spirit. So I think we need to remember the power of the Holy Spirit. And every day I wake up, and I'm like, God... Fill me with your spirit today. Give me something new today. And if there's anything in my heart, anything I'm doing in my life, anything that's not pleasing, anything that's grieving you, anything that's quenching this gift, um, I'm not talking about salvation. I'm just talking about effectiveness, efficacy in your walk with God. Uh, Clear it. I want to confess it so that I can have this fresh outpouring every day day with you. Paul recognized it. That's why he talks about the power of prayer and the power of the Holy Spirit in verse 19. What else did he do? He knew the purpose of his life. I love these verses. Look at verse 21 and 22. He says, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor. So what was his life about? His life was about Christ and fruitful labor. The church I left had this, this saying, it's a, maybe you've heard of it, it's an old, I don't know where it came from, but it says, one day this life will pass, and only the things done for Jesus Christ will last. Have you heard that? It's kind of like, you, you hear it like at like vacation Bible school and things like that, in California was a common saying. But I think that's what he's getting at right here. He's like, I recognize at the end of the day, and, and don't get me wrong, I think we've got a, we've got a, a cultural commission and a missionary com- commission, You know, part of that culture commission is work hard. Whatever God's called you to do, do it with excellence. Show up to time, you know, show up to work on time, be the best employee there. But there's this missionary aspect that's also supposed to be a part of our life. And I think Paul understood, you know, I want my life. Do you remember the the Westminster Lesser Catechism? I just had my kids memorize this. What is the chief end of man? To glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Paul got that. He's like, to me, to live is Christ. That's what I'm all about. And when I die, it's game because I just get to high-five Jesus face-to-face. We've been hanging out my whole life and I'm just going to meet him like kind of in HD. It was just, it was just like a, a passageway to glory. He didn't view them as separate. They were very, you know, just, it's cool now, it's going to be better then. But if I go, you won't have me in your life. And you mean that much to me. Isn't that crazy how other-centered he is? Even as you, if, if you read further in Philippians, there's a disciple of Paul um, named Epaphroditus, and Epaphroditus was sent from Philippi to Paul to give him a gift in, in, in jail, and then he gets really sick, and Epaphroditus is really stressed out that the church heard that he's sick. Now when I get sick, I kind of want to be babied a little bit, I want a little extra tension, maybe I'll act a little sicker than I am, we've all been there, don't, don't, don't judge me, um, but Epaphroditus doesn't do that. He's stressed out that the church is stressed out about him being sick. Like, who does that? Who's that other-centered where you're stressed out, that people are stressed out that you're sick, right? That, that, that's how Paul was. That's how his disciples were. Just super other-centered. And I think sometimes it's important to remember what the purpose of our life is. What are we here? We're here to know Christ and to make him known. So God help us to do that effectively. And I think when you remember that everything that God's working out in your life is to make you more effective uh, at, at glorifying Him, make you more effective at sharing Him. It helps you to keep a good perspective when you go through hard things. Right? So, um, Finally, he knew the providence of God. Look at verse 23 uh, and 24. He says, I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. So it's interesting. In verse 25, he seems to be convinced that he's going to be released. And he was. He was released. So I don't know if this is like a a word of knowledge or what happened, but Paul's convinced that he was going to leave. But then when you read in chapter 2, he says, already I'm being poured out like a drink offering. So then he's kind of thinking, well, maybe I'm going to die. Is he wishy-washy? No, I think he's just cool with God's providence. Whether I, get, whether I escape, awesome. I'm hoping for this. But if God wants to take my life, he lost his life his second time in jail. His head was cut off. He's like, I'm okay with it either way, God. So whether you want to free me, I trust in your providence. If, you, if this is it, and I've finished the race, and I'm a drink offering, I'm literally poured out for you, I'm okay with it. As long as I trust in you. And I think sometimes we need, to, we need to put more stake in it. God loves you. He's got a plan for you. He says he knows the thoughts that he thinks for you. That's to prosper you and not to harm you. That's to give you hope in a future. And if you're like me, sometimes I question God. I'm like, do you really, God? Can I really trust in your providence? Do you really have what's best for me in mind? Because sometimes it doesn't seem like it. Because my circumstances are hard. Or because this doesn't make sense. All right? So Paul understood the providence of God. So how can we be optimistic? That's, that's a snapshot of Paul's life. Um, number one, I think remember your purpose. Look at verse 26. It says, uh, So that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. You know, like I said, we're put here. Now this is the challenge. In your fallen state, you're going to want the glory. You're, you're, you're going to want it yourself. In our Christ-focus we're supposed to reflect the glory of God. That's what it means to be created in the image of God. It's like you're God's ultimate marketing tool. You're like a walking, talking, breathing version of Him when things are on. When things are off, you don't, you don't want to reflect glory to God. You want it yourself. You want to absorb it. Now, you don't want to worship God. You want to worship other things. So you're either absorbing it and not reflecting it, or you're misplacing it and giving it to things, the idols, that can't satisfy. So I think we're here to glorify Jesus. So I think it's a great God. Am I doing that effectively? If not, how can I fix it? What can I change that I can bring you more glory in my life? And then secondly, to live a worthy life. Look at verse 27. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. What a great heart check. Is it God? How am I right now? And the beautiful thing, this isn't a lose-your-salvation issue because you can. This is, how can I repent and make it better? That's the beauty of confessing your sin as a group and as an individual in church every week. Am I living a worthy life? If I'm not, uh, I need to remember my purpose, God. How do I, how do I, how do I maintain optimism, optimism and hope? Uh, by glorifying you because that's what I was created to do. Did you know that? You're created to worship God. God. Angels get to do stuff for God. Sometimes I want to just serve God more. I want to do stuff for God, not so much worship or be still or spend time in his presence. But angels do stuff for God. We were created to have a relationship with God. Did you know that? That's your primary purpose, to glorify God and to what? Enjoy him. And sometimes I just, I'm not good at that. I'm better at doing. I'm kind of ADHD. I talk fast. I'm always moving. Uh, I don't like being still, but that's ultimately where I'll find true satisfaction. And to live a worthy life. Remember your community. Look at this. This is so important. Stand firm in one spirit, with one mind striving side by side. When you're going through difficult times and they are inevitable, you're not designed to go through them alone. That was never meant to be. The reason you're kind of wired, the reason there's like Elks Club, Moose Lodge, fraternities, sororities, you're wired for community. People, whether you believe in God or not, you want to be around people. Generally, even if you're introverted, you still like maybe the one friend or the two friends. Generally, you do. If you don't like people, usually there's some social... There's some, Like when, you, when you're like a hermit or a miser on your own to that level, generally there's some mental issues there because usually people like to be around other people. Maybe a like-minded people, doesn't matter, but you're wired for community. And so I think Paul points this out. So if you're suffering... Share it. Let your church, you know, get prayer. Bring it up. Don't suffer alone. There are going to be seasons that are more challenging than other seasons. And that's the beauty of a church community. We're there for each other. To listen, to pray, to support. Right? So don't suffer alone. And then finally, remember your Savior. I think the beauty of the gospel is that Jesus, you talk about suffering, Jesus suffered immensely. Paul even writes about it in, in chapter 2. Jesus didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he gave it up, taking the form of a man. I think of it, that trips me out every time Christmas comes around. I think about what was going through Gabriel's mind when he was flying down saying that God is going to be born through a virgin 16 or 15-year-old girl. God himself, the God who created the universe, the God that he saw do all these amazing things, was going to humble himself to the point that he's going to become a baby experience full humanity and give it all up so that one day we would never have to suffer again. So I think you're trying to maintain optimism, trying to be hopeful when, when everything's challenging, when nothing makes sense. Remember that. Remember that God gave up everything so that one day, one, he gives you the tools to deal with it right now, community, the Holy Spirit, the things we looked at. But one day, it is eradicated forever your heavenly experience, that, that, that utopia we all long for deep down inside, that vacation that never ends, you know, it's suffer-free because Jesus' life was suffer-full in a sense. He, he took it all so that one day we never have to deal with it again. So let's pray. God, thank you for the great links that you uh, went through so that we can have the tools to deal with suffering and challenging circumstances uh, in the now. And thank you for what you did on the cross uh, to one day eradicate suffering forever. I pray for anyone, God, who's going through uh, challenging seasons right now, Uh, seasons of, uh, of, whether it's a mundane season, God, whether it's a, a season where they're waiting, whether it's a season where they're lonely, whether it's a season where they're experiencing a lot of pain, God, I pray they'd recognize and remember that, that you still love them, that you still got a plan, even though it might make zero sense, and that they need to really reach out to you, and they need to really reach out to the community, and, and I pray that they would today, God. If there's anybody going through something that, that, um, that's too much to handle, I pray that today they'd find uh, some help to stand, God. So we thank you for uh, the proof that you gave us that you love us, God. The proof that you gave us to dying on the cross. And uh, we just ask these things in your name, God. Amen.